installments of the run-up to the Oscars, the Oscars, which I'm contemplating doing every year if they'll let me, just because I think there are so many films that we see each year that come out, and, and the way we think about them is really helpful, and a lot of them, you know, stories are so helpful for getting us to think about our own lives. And um, the three that I've picked, you know, this is the last of the three. I think they do help us think about our own lives and reflect on our own lives. Um, so how many, today we're looking at gravity. How many of you have seen gravity? Ooh, only two of us. That's great. Normally, the last two classes, it was about half. What did you think? Did you like it? Oh, yeah. What did you like about it? You did. Were you a little shell-shocked like I was? You know, I was the only person in the theater, and it was just, I was there with them, and I used the 3D thing, and um, I was just there. Yeah, that's I was amazing. with her. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. And th th that is one of the real bonuses of this movie. Um, it, again, it's PG-13, which, by the way, which movies are released, what movies are released today that are actually... PG-13, none of them, so praise God for that, that it's PG-13. Then also, um, one of the things that you'll see is, and I didn't even know this until I started reading reviews, because I was so caught up in the film and in the story of the film and in the visuals in the film that I didn't, um, that I didn't notice that a lot of it was computer generated. So don't think about that when I, I show you this. I just thought, I thought they'd gone up there with the last <laughs> space. I guess. Well, it looks a lot like the Hubble 3D, yeah. which is the documentary that they did about. And they did take a camera up with them when they were you know, doing some um, repair work on the Hubble telescope. But um, this, So it looks very similar to that, but it's um, fiction. So I think we're going to watch the extended trailer. For those of you, in fact, almost all of you who haven't seen it, you'll get a little taste for what the film's like. I, forgive me if the quality of this film is not very great. You know, what's available online is never as good as what's available um, in the movie theater. I'm going to turn the lights actually off. Go, go, go! 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 Go!
trailers are for. You get all the good parts of the film. Um, but can, how are you all feeling thinking after seeing it? Because that's kind of intense. I mean, kind of intense is kind of an understatement. But um, I think one of the reasons, and it just hit me in watching it this time around, one of the reasons why it's so intense, I think, is because we've all seen all the images of the real live astronauts up in space and seen um, what they're doing, and um, it's very real. It's very realistic, and so that's troubling for us, um, certainly. Um, I think, um, any other thoughts as you're just watching that and experiencing that trailer, if you hadn't seen it before? Um, helplessness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you, if, you, if you let go up there, yeah. what's going to happen? Yeah, that's right. Anything else you notice? I'm thinking all those little kids that thought they wanted to be astronauts. <laughs> really? Are you sure you want to be an astronaut when you grow up? Yeah, yeah. Anyone else notice anything about it? Clint's voice and being out of God. Yeah, you hear him talking to her, right? Well, she is. Even though you don't think you say it. Right. Have you seen it? Okay. I've seen it. Pretty well, so one of the things, she is the main character. Sandra Bullock is the main character. Her name is Dr. Ryan Stone. She's a novice astronaut. This is her first trip up into outer space, and clearly space camp or whatever preparation they did for her was not enough for her for this. Um, and so um, she's very scared. And then um, the other person is George Clooney, and George, George Clooney's character is what you would call, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask you to close it. It's going to bother oh, me. Sure. Thank you. George Clooney's character is what they call a space monkey. He's, he's an expert. He's been up there several times. He, um, this is actually his final mission. And so he's up there playing the radio, jet, jetting around with his jetpack, trying it out, totally relaxed, even. And he's the one who stays calm in the midst of that initial crisis. And so the, the, the setup is that there has, they're up there. It's a routine mission, routine spacewalk to um, service give um, new technology to the Hubble telescope that, and she's actually a medical doctor. She's putting in some kind of medical techno stuff into the Hubble. Let's see how much I know about it. But, and so um, it's a routine uh, procedure, routine space expedition gone utterly wrong. And essentially with her as the main character and Clooney is the only other, really the only other human being you see in the whole story, all of 90 minutes, and it's just the two of them. And yet space itself is almost like another character within it. Space and then seeing, it, just the visuals of seeing so much empty, dark space, and then Earth so close and yet so far away. Um, and the two, the two writers who wrote it together are Alfonso and Jonas Cuaron. I can't even say it, Cuaron. Um, they're Latino, and Alfonso is the father, and Jonas is his oldest son. Alfonso directed um, several movies that you might have heard of, Children of Men, Itu Mama Tambien, lots of art house films, um, The Little Princess. He did probably the most interesting of the Harry Potter movies, The Prisoner of Azkaban, 
the really weird one, if you remembered one that was really weird. Um, and so these, this is essentially, is this an art house film? No, this is a blockbuster. This is a hold on to the edge of your seat because there's going to be a lot of, exp there, there will be a lot of explosions. You're not going to be sure if they're going to make it alive. It is a little bit like that um, quality of those catastrophes like snakes on a plane or speed or something like that and yet <laughs> it's better than those in some ways and so that's one of the reasons why it's nominated for um, for best picture is because it does have some very deep some deeper layers to it more so than snakes on a plane for example but it's <laughs> but I would say and and the reviewers have said it's not I would say it's not a masterpiece, and the only reason why it's not a masterpiece is because of the technology, the CGI. What movies have you seen that have CGI in it that are the most deep movies you've ever seen, the movies that have changed your life? Are there movies that have changed your life that have a lot of CGI in them? There might be, but for me, I think one of the things that happens with directors is when they have all this new technology, they're like, yes, this is the best. I'm going to do everything I possibly can do with all this new technology. It's going to be amazing. And so sometimes what's lacking is that depth, in the depth in the characters. And so that's one of the things about this. The characters are not super deep, and yet you see still in the midst of the crisis that there is an internal crisis going on for Dr. Ryan Stone, for um, Sandra Bullock's character. So the writers of the script said, when we started writing the script, we wanted to make it an archetypal story. And it is. They've aimed at that and they've achieved it, even if there isn't some of the depth. Because I didn't notice the depth because I was holding on to my seat for dear life. So I didn't notice the lack of depth for that reason. But there is some, uh, there is some interior life. Um, the other writer says, this was the journey of a woman that is a metaphor of the journey of any human being facing adversities. And that's true. For all its stunning exteriors, and this is one of the reviewers, and the exteriors are gorgeous. Space and earth and all of the beauty of it. Um, and even some of the shots are just so gorgeous. It's visually stunning. For all its stunning exteriors, gravity is really concerned with emotional interiors and it goes about exploring them with simplicity and directness. And that is true. So um, what happens at the beginning of the film, and we saw that in that trailer, that um, Dr. Stone is cut adrift. Um, there's that first, and so what has happened is that, of course, it's the Russians. The Russians have sent a missile up to destroy one of their satellites, which doesn't, first of all, it doesn't make sense to me because don't they have to like, aren't there rules about that? Don't they have to let everyone know so there isn't a mission out there? But they do. And so all of the debris from this satellite that they're destroying is coming to hit the Explorer, the Hubble telescope. And then you see these two astronauts first trying to make it to the International Space Station and then trying to make it to the Chinese Space Station. Um, and so in that first initial moment, which we saw in that trailer, when the debris hits, she is cut loose. She's so vulnerable, isn't she? You get that sense with the earth looming. She's so at risk. Um, and I don't remember feeling that way when I see astronauts on TV, real live astronauts, but in this, it, you really sense that vulnerability. There she is, um, and when that arm goes spinning out, thank goodness she's able to separate herself from the arm, but then you just see that image of the astronaut against the deep blackness of space. She's out there, she is alone, she's spinning, 
and she is cut adrift. And I think one of the things throughout, I think the, um, the radio frequencies and the communication over those radio frequencies, I think of it as being a metaphor for prayer. And they consciously, the writers consciously allude to that at one point in the film. They are indeed a metaphor for prayer. And there she is. She's cut adrift. She's out there floating. Um, the, everything is rotating around her and her words. She says, anybody, anyone, please copy. And there's radio silence. Just total radio silence. And... Um, and what happened then is that, of course, um, George Clooney at that very, you know, in those first 15 minutes of the film, he finds her. Thank goodness. We're so glad when we hear his voice crackling over the airwaves. And I think you're right, Catherine. It is like God. Um, you know, she hears him breaking through to her, and she's able to calm down even in the midst of that crisis. She's able to breathe even though she doesn't have enough oxygen in her suit, um, or her oxygen is low. What happens then is that Clooney, again, by the way, this is a little bit of a spoiler. I won't give you the major spoiler. And even when I give spoilers, I don't do it if I don't think the film is worth seeing, even when you know a little bit too much about it. So again, I highly recommend seeing it, even if you know a little bit too much about it. But I won't give you the punchline on this one. I did on the other, so I won't on this one. So when um, George Clooney's character, Matt Kowalski, he um, comes up to her and he is using his jetpack, miracle of miracles. I don't even know if this is scientifically possible. And a friend of mine who's an engineer said she couldn't pay attention to the whole film because she didn't like the science. She didn't think the science was very practical or believable. So I'll, I'll give her that. I don't know. I'm, I'm you know, a layman when it comes to science. So I was able to sit back and hold on to my chair. So um, Matt Kowalski comes up. He attaches that tether that he had had onto her. They're tethered together. This is a theme, you know, if being cut adrift alone out in the middle of outer space is one aspect of the themes going on. Something related to that is that they keep trying to get attached to these movable bodies. If you think about it, you know, there's the explorer, the explorer's orbiting around the Earth. The explorer's not, you know, the space shuttle is not stationary in the slightest. And there she was, so vulnerable, attached to that. Then, even more vulnerable, here she is attached to George Clooney, and he's using his little tiny jetpack to get them from where the Explorer was to the space station. And it's whether it's believable or not, you're sucked in while you're watching it, and it strikes you how, with that tether, that movable tether, how she's still so very unsafe. And um, one of the things that you see is that if she moves around too much, She'll, um, she'll mess him up as he's trying to get to the space station. Her movement and her velocity is going to affect him out there where there is no air and there is no gravity, of course. Then we get to the very obvious title of the film. So this next scene is one of these moments while um, Dr. Ryan Stone and Matt Kowalski are tethered together. And um, he's trying to calm her down. She keeps hyperventilating. She's hyperventilating at the beginning of the film, and that's going to consume too much oxygen from her already depleted suit. And so he's trying to help calm her down. He's, of course, calm the whole time. But there you have it. Wait, let me make sure. There you go.
Shrek? So the hell is that? She was at school playing tag, so she hit her head, and that was it. Stupidest thing. I was driving when I got the call, so ever since then, that's what I do. find out why she's sort of out of her element, even though, I mean, she is a novice, but she has lost her daughter. Her daughter was four years old when she died, and um, and um, Ryan just is trying, she's not really living, is she? She goes to work, she comes home. What was that? She's adrift. She's adrift. Thank you. You got there ahead of me. It's good. Yeah. But it's true. She's cut adrift. She has been so paralyzed by this loss. And as I was preparing again for this, I realized simultaneous to this class, you know that um, Cameron 
Cole is teaching about his own great experience of loss very recently. And I commend to you the audio from those three classes um, that he's been teaching the last three weeks um, concurrent to this class. And here is someone on screen dealing with the very same tragedy, um, or close enough. And the truth of it is that each one of us deals with loss. And it might not be of that catastrophic um, nature where it was someone so young, someone that ought not to have died, um, but we each deal with very troubling and trying circumstances in our lives. And so the danger of being cut adrift is very real for each one of us, um, even though at times we feel safer than we actually are. Um, and so I think about that um, with this film. This film is so clearly about that um, interior and the exterior, the interior loss um, and being cut adrift and then trying to find her way back home, trying to find her ground once again. What kind of ground is she standing on? And the truth of it is that since the death of her daughter, she has been adrift. And this outer space catastrophe will either kill her or it will cause her to find her feet again on the ground, on sure and solid ground, uh, attached gravity, right? So that's what this film is about. Um, uh, so there's, as you heard, um, there they are going to the space station. They're going to get there, um, or, or will they? And once they get there, you can be sure that there's another catastrophe. The whole film is one series one string of catastrophes, one after another. And she gets to the point um, where she says she just knows she's going to die. Um, she, she waffles back and forth. Matt tells her, you've got to make it. And there's one point where she says she's about to lose. She, she just says, I am going to die. I'm going to die. I mean, we're, these are her words. I mean, we are all going to die. Everyone knows that. And then she goes, but I'm going to die today. And that is the big question. Will she die or will she live? Um, will this catastrophe in space and the catastrophe in her own personal life kill her or will she live? There's, within that, there is, again, talk of prayer. And she actually prays. I'm not going to show it to you because I want you to see it. Um, you'll see in, when you see the film how that actual reaching out in prayer is a cry for help and a cry for someone to come in from outside of her, um, for someone to change her circumstances. And I'm not going to tell you how, but this film is very, um, in the writing of this film, people, and this is, I'm going to turn this off so you can hear me better, so I'm not showing, because I'm done with this. Oh, well, it'll still blow. But, <laughs> um, but this, um, this whole uh, idea of getting to that rock bottom, getting to that point where you realize I'm dead already. I'm going to die. And then where do you go from there? Once you get to that point of surrender, where do you go from there? And historically, throughout theater, throughout um, literature, there's something called a deus ex machina. Have you ever heard of that? Any of you remember from, ooh, someone remembers from English lit. I see in the back shaking their head. It's a Latin term the deus ex machina, and it's a term that writers use to describe what's often seen by most people as being a cop-out. And essentially, it's where um, in a story, if the plot can't be resolved, 
this is for bad writers. It's plug and pee resolve, then they'll resort to some kind of device that fixes everything in a very neat and tidy way. And so a lot of people poo-poo any kind of writing or any kind of film or any kind of theater that has a deus ex machina. And the greatest example of this, I think, I mean, the Greeks use this all the time. Well, wait, let me go back. The Greeks use this all the time, so it goes all the way back to the way the ancient Greek um, playwrights used to use this phenomenon. The reason why I called deus ex machina, it means God on the, on the machine. God uh, on the device, essentially. And what would happen in the ancient Greek plays is that one of the gods in the pantheon would come up either on a crane, yes, they could do that in, you know, whatever century BC, or on a little platform that would rise up from the stage, and <gasps> there was Zeus. Suddenly, Zeus was entering into the play itself, and things were going to be okay from that point on. He was going to rearrange things on behalf of the characters. So that's why it got named the Deus Ex Machina. And people, again, they think it's a cop-out, but some of my favorite Shakespearean plays have a Deus Ex Machina, where there's one in um, A Winter's Tale is a famous one, As You Like It, and my favorite, Cymbeline. And they are literally one of the, it's in a Greek context, one of the guides literally enters into the play and changes things on behalf of the characters. Well, that is essentially, people don't like that, but that's because they're not people of faith and hope and people who don't have a hope from outside ourselves. And so as Christians, this device, this writing device is something we should look at and say, oh, we know about that. I know about God coming in from outside and changing my circumstances because isn't that exactly what God has done for us? That in Jesus Christ, the playwright himself has written himself into the story, into the play. God himself deigns to be born as a baby in Bethlehem. Jesus, the eternal word, is made flesh. And our lives will never be the same. And our worlds will never be the same. We're helpless without that divine intervention from outside of ourselves, from outside of the story. And that's what God does through the incarnation and then um, through that whole, through the whole person and work of Jesus Christ. God is then changing and flipping our circumstances because we indeed are lost. We're cut adrift, just like Dr. Ryan Stone. We're cut adrift in the outer space of our own making. Um, and I think we, we talk a lot about um, that being um, sin, you know, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son. We talk about that being about sin and our own willful sin against God, and that's true. Also, though, that sense of being lost um, is something that we might not be actively doing. We might not be actively giving God the hand and saying, no, forget about you, I'm rebelling against you like a teenager or a two-year-old, it, it might be that we just don't know what to do with ourselves. And we can't find a way to believe in God. We're cut adrift, whether because we're under some extreme circumstances of suffering, like Dr. Stone, we've experienced great loss, um, great grief, whether someone has hurt us so badly that we can't find our feet on the ground. We just are um, spinning our wheels. We don't know where to go. We're lost. Um, so that lostness, again, it describes that active sin and then even that passive not knowing what to do and that disbelief that comes at times through that passivity, um, through the experiences of our lives where we say, God, I know you're out there, but I just hear radio silence. Houston, 
do you copy? That's one of the things that Dr. Stone and Matt Kowalski say all throughout the film. Houston in the blind, do you copy? One of the things that Matt Kowalski says to Ryan, she, he keeps talking, he keep, they've been disconnected from Houston, and he keeps talking to Houston. She says, what are you doing? Why are you still talking? They can't hear you. And he said, you never know. You never know when they might begin to, when the connection might be restored. Um, we don't know. You just keep talking. And what she has stopped talking at one point in the film, and then later on in the film, she starts to just talk again. She, she starts to copy Houston. Houston, do you read me? I'm the sole survivor of this mission. Do you hear me? Um, and so, again, that image of prayer, even in the midst of being cut adrift emotionally and spiritually, is so beautiful. And we look at scripture, and what does God say about lostness in scripture? Well, I mentioned the um, parable of the coin, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost son. Well, God, as the good shepherd in Ezekiel 34, um, promises, he says, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And there you see that image of straying. Um, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We'll say that in a few moments during morning prayer at 11 o'clock. We have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. It describes sin. It also describes that weakness in the midst of suffering. God says, I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. Um, so God is a God who comes to seek us, to find us, and to save us, even when we have no hope, no other hope, when we're cut adrift in the midst of, the, of outer space. Um, and so the question then for us as we watch gravity, as we, even as we um, sit through this, is to ask, what are we tethered to? How about that image in that second um, clip that I showed you of the two of them tethered together against outer space? He came and found her, and he is in some ways like a god figure coming to find her when she's spinning. And so that point where they're talking and he's asking her about her life, that's after that point. She's already been rescued once, but she needs to be rescued over and over and over again as the film will show. But that point where they're tethered together, you have to ask, is that tethering going to, um, is she really safe then? No, she's really not. And you see that tether snap at that one moment. She keeps tethering herself to all these other things, tethered to the Explorer, tethered to the space station, tethered to the escape pod, tethered to all these things, and yet none of them are really grounded. They're all in outer space. And that, too, is something that we're prone to do in our lostness. As we're wandering, as we're cut adrift, um, I don't know about you, but I'll find anything that'll make me feel better. I'll go to any, any source um, to make me feel better, whether it's anesthetizing myself with lots of TV or, um, or um, any sorts of things that are not necessarily bad in and of themselves. But when we fill ourselves with those things, when we attach our spiritual tether onto them, um, we'll then continue to um, float through outer space, lost and adrift. And so that, again, is one of the aspects of this being found. Um, and how is she found? I'll leave that up to you. Um, because it's worth seeing how it is that really God breaks in and breaks through to her um, and shakes her up 
and finds her because that's exactly, it's a metaphor for how he breaks through and finds us. And so I'll leave you with this one last word and then you can ask me some questions. We're about to sing, um, we're about to read, if you haven't yet um, had church, in the 11 o'clock we're going to read the same scripture passages and we'll sing the same hymns. And the hymns, if you'll notice, are all based on the first lesson, even though Andrew will not preach on the first lesson. He'll preach from the gospel. And the first lesson is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, talking about Jesus Christ is made the sure foundation. He is the only thing that we can tether ourselves to and find our feet on the ground again. Um, He is our only sure foundation in this um, world of outer space in this world of spinning planets and um, uncertain space stations in orbit. Um, He is the only sure foundation, and it's through him that God has intervened from outside, that God has entered into the story of human life and existence here on Earth and changed it, um, made it entirely different, made our lives entirely different because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. So I'm going to pray, and then you can ask me questions. Dear Lord God, we thank you and praise you for Jesus, for sending him. Thank you, Lord, for entering into our story, even the way. And thank you for this story that shows us through this um, interesting film how, um, how you do indeed enter in. You enter into our lives. You break through. And so I ask right now, Lord God, break through to us, even as we are today, adrift in our own ways, adrift even just mildly, adrift without knowing it, um, uh, detached, detached from you, our sure foundation. Would you root us and ground us through faith in him? Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us through Jesus. We love you and we praise you and we glorify you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Any questions before we go to worship? Or before you go home? It really is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It is. It's really gorgeous. It really is. It'll be interesting to see. Next Sunday is the, uh, will be the Oscars show. It'll be interesting to see which, which film takes the cake. I don't know that it'll be this one. I kind of hope it will be. Um, but I, Because I love it. But I also really liked American Hustle. So if you ask me, of the, of the ones I've seen, I would say American Hustle is the best. Films, um, but there are also some that I haven't seen that might be even better films. So if some of those win, then I'm going to have to start getting some videos. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to do a little recap or a, an extra class just to talk about the one that wins. Yeah. One of the things I was struck by, and I don't know whether it's physically accurate or not, was how close. I mean relatively, how you could be in the American Space Station and see the Chinese or the, they could actually traverse those areas. I was surprised by that too, and I wonder if, I, I want to ask my engineer accurate. friend, I wonder if it's accurate too. That was just sort of one of those like, huh, that's cool. Highly but unrealistic. You think it's highly unrealistic? Well, they're able to travel so fast up there that that's one of but, the things. But when that, they were, you know, just on their backpacks. I know, with the backpack, and then even better with the, um, how she gets there. Remember how she gets there? She's very clever. I've heard that. Uh, feel free. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't help but think about uh, a much, much older movie, you know, uh, Kubrick's 2001 yeah. that has got a similar sequence in it. Yeah. Know, when, uh, uh, you know, the, the computer goes nuts and, and kills the one guy, and, and, yeah. you know, and the other guy goes out and gets him and brings him back. 
and the fact that even though this looks so realistic, all the CGI stuff, what, 20, 30 years ago, whenever that movie was made, they did it all with little wooden models and lighting and film. And it's just and, realistic. And it's extremely realistic. I know. And you're absolutely right, Charles. That's what all the reviewers, if you read any of the reviews online, some, they're saying, you know, this is trying to be like 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's really not, no, it's first a, of all. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, movie, yeah. it's a completely different movie, and the quality of that filmmaking is not up there to that level. Stanley Kubrick. I mean, yeah, who no, can it, achieve it? But 2001 then, was, was, trying, was trying to do something much more. Well, another scale. thing about it is that 2001 is unabashedly sci-fi. Yeah. This is sci-fi as well. It's fantasy, but it's masquerading as reality. And that's one of the confusing things about it. it and that's maybe my, why my scientist friend was very upset. So, um, Now we really do need to go. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.